This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here and to talk about this topic, which I've become very interested in for a lot of reasons. I'm an endocrinologist and see many, many patients who are asking about testosterone supplementation, safety, all kinds of issues. So I've become very interested in the topic. Uh, I have no disclosures or conflicts of interest with regard to this topic. So just very quickly, testosterone, it's a hormone. That means it's a chemical that's made in our body, in the testis, and, and other places, but mainly in men in the testis. It goes from the testis to the bloodstream and goes really throughout the entire body. And it, its main actions are uh, occurring in the nucleus of the cells uh, that are in the target tissues for testosterone. It interacts with a nuclear receptor. And there's a lot known about sort of the biochemistry and the uh, molecular biology of this uh, uh, important receptor in our bodies. But when testosterone interacts with its receptor, it changes the genetic programming of the cell in question. And sort of way, way, way downstream from that interaction comes, for example, masculinization of the body, male reproduction, and many, many, many other processes. So testosterone um, is sort of made through a really very elegant endocrine system, and it really starts up here in the brain, in the hypothalamus, where a protein called gonadotropin-releasing hormone, GnRH, is made. That goes down here to the pituitary gland at the base of the brain, and the pituitary puts out the hormone FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone, uh, and luteinizing hormone, and men and women have all of these hormones. But because the testis specifically responds to these in a certain way, you make um, testosterone in the Leydig cells of the testis, and over here in the tubules of the testis, you make the sperm. Okay, and all of that happens under the influence and the control of that important pathway. Now, what we've learned over the years is that you need to secrete that GnRH in a pulsatile way to go through puberty for boys, for example, and also for girls. And then this leads to pulsatile production of those hormones. Well, that's wonderful. That's a normal process. If you put out those hormones, um, GnRH, continuously, down go the gonadotropins that stimulate the testis. And, and it's a very elegant system, and, and why that's so important and why sort of the biology is so important is if we can mimic this with a medication like an analog for GnRH, for example, we can sort of biochemically turn off this production of those two hormones and then shut down the production of testosterone. And it's a very commonly used treatment for carcinoma of the prostate, for example. So we can use, it's kind of a biochemical, if you will, castration, and it's reversible in general. So this is an elegant axis that controls the production of testosterone by the testis, but it's sensitive to many, many things. Any kind of high-intensity stress can shut down this axis. If men are acutely ill or chronically ill in the hospital, it can shut down. If there's some kind of psychological, severe psychological stress, it'll shut this down. If there's malnutrition, if there's a chronic uh, opioid use, for example, many, many things can shut down this pathway. So this makes it difficult for us sometimes to tell, well, is this really a low testosterone state, or am I dealing with an illness that's led to this? 
Um, but many, many things can influence this axis. So testosterone, you'll see in a moment a picture of a sort of hypothetical man, but it has many, many effects in the bodies of men. So we've already talked about needing it for sperm production to reproduce. Boys, if they don't have adequate testosterone, don't go through the normal stages of puberty with all the changes in the body that take place in puberty. And then testosterone is needed to sort of for men to gain the, physio- the physical characteristics, we call them secondary sexual characteristics of being uh, male, male-like. Uh, testosterone maintains lean body mass in, in, um, in men and, and, per- and helps it happen, for example, in women. And it promotes muscle to stay healthy and develop. And it takes away, it helps to decrease the amount of fat that people have. So it's got lots and lots of effects. And this figure right here just shows you some of the main target organs for testosterone. So the skin, in the skin it can cause facial hair growth and hair growth in other parts of the body, for example, that women don't have. Testosterone is doing that. It's responsible for what we call male pattern, uh, one of the things responsible for male pattern baldness. In the brain, it affects the level of aggression, the level of energy, the level of sex driver, libido, and we've already talked about muscle being strongly influenced in its growth, development, size, and power by testosterone. In the kidney, it makes a very important hormone called EPO or erythropoietin that determines the level of red blood cells in the body, so important in the kidney. It also affects the bone marrow, enhancing the production of stem cells there. It affects the growth of the bone in young boys as they're adolescents and grow to their full height, but also in men who are mature, who aren't growing anymore. Testosterone is important as a source of estrogen as well to maintain bone health. So it's important all the way through life. And then the male sexual organs, the sort of changes that occur with puberty that occur in the male genitalia, the production of sperm, and the growth and function of the prostate. And in in addition, in the liver, it has effects on protein synthesis. So, you know, just almost every single tissue in the body has some response, and these are the big ones, if you will, for testosterone actions in the body. So you may have heard um, about the low T syndrome. There's a lot of information in the media about it. We we kind of struggle a little bit to define exactly what it is in medicine. We know that the levels of testosterone should be low in this syndrome, but it's hard sometimes to know exactly what numbers constitute low T syndrome. So we typically call low T something that's happening in older men and I, I was kind of nervous to put an age in here, you know, not to be, you know, offensive to anybody, but we're, we're not exactly sure when the low T or the fall in testosterone occurs. You'll see some curves in a moment. But it's a very gradual process that continues pretty much through to the end of life. And the symptoms that have been attributed to low T include effects on energy, well-being, sex drive being low, not being able to maintain normal erectile function, the muscle mass changes that occur, and the gain of fat that, um, that sometimes accompanies this low, syn- uh, low T syndrome. And sometimes it's been called andropause, kind of to give it a, a name similar to menopause in women, 
andropause uh, for men. So that's kind of an effort to kind of try to define it functionally a little bit. So as I said, we as physicians and endocrinologists, we, we struggle with getting an exact definition for it. So I sometimes say that if the levels of testosterone in the morning are very, very low and the man is healthy, he's not stressed, he's not uh, you know, uh, very, very overweight or obese, he's not on opiates and he's not drinking heavily, then it becomes easy. Then you can eliminate all those things that can affect the level of testosterone and you know that you're dealing with a low T or a low testosterone, a true uh, low T syndrome. But that's pretty much, in, in what I do, the rare case, okay? And some of the problems have to do with the fact that stress happens and, and many other things happen in the course of health and illness. Um, but, it, but as well, we have difficulties sometimes getting accurate measurements of testosterone, the assays that are available in, in many of the laboratories aren't perfect, and there's a rhythm of testosterone that goes on in the course of the day that you know stymies some of these assays. And so the levels can vary as much as 30%, maybe even as much as 50%, in a given man on a given day. So you can see that that makes it pretty tricky. Um, and then the other problem, the other part of it, just about every symptom that I had on those those slides that we call low T can overlap with even natural, healthy, normal aging. So you can see it becomes very difficult. Here's some bad news here. This is what happens to the testosterone levels by age. Okay, and let's say something in the range of 275 or so is considered the lower limit of normal. If you look at a good reference laboratory, you can see the total testosterone in blue, it's going down all the way here uh, to practically the bottom of the normal range in, in, in healthy men. And it's hard to find healthy men at the age of 90 and 95 to actually get these measurements so we can actually put these data up here. And so that's total testosterone in the blue, and the red is the free testosterone. So if, you, if you're having these levels measured yourself, you, you know that you might have seen on the lab flip total testosterone, free testosterone. They parallel each other. You can see they both go in the same direction down with, with age. So that's, uh, that's a tricky part of all of this. And then the other part of it is that when you go to a, the, like the guidance from a good reference laboratory, like this, this one is from a good one, you don't see much guidance for um, what the testosterone level should be decade by decade. It just gives you one big normal range here, and it's left to you know, whoever ordered this test, your doctor or whomever, to kind of interpret this in the context of the age and the patient. And even the free testosterone, we don't get much guidance from the laboratory. So we've got to use experience and, and so forth to kind of figure out, um, is this normal for the age of that man that you're seeing and, and so forth? And it can, be, it can be very challenging. Okay, so that's the medical side of things. When we come to the media and we come to, you know, the, the Internet and we look at all these different websites, they haven't got any problem find, telling you what a low T syndrome is. Okay, it's sex drive is low, orgasm less strong, less energy, losing height, decreased enjoyment of life, feeling sad or grumpy, falling asleep. After, I like that one the best. Falling asleep after dinner is, you know, they've got that associated with this. And work performance. So no sweat. They have figured out what it is, and you can get all of these symptoms and you know, find 
you know, support for it in the media that that's low T. And if you look up low T on the Internet, you will find there's many, many, many thousands of pages there. But here's just one example. We are your, this is a San Francisco low T clinic. We are your solution. Are you currently experiencing fatigue, loss of sex drive, difficulty concentrating, depression or low mood, loss of muscle mass and gain of fat, low sense of overall wellness, erectile dysfunction, and then they go into everything, and then they go on to to want to sell you a a certain kind of a formulation geared for your specific problems you're experiencing. And there's loads of this. Here's this one I put a few pages in here because... It's, it was pretty remarkable. So this one goes, if you're a man in your mid-60s, you want to pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you. At this very moment, a hormonal shift could be taking place in your body that for all intents and purposes could be destroying your manhood. <laughs> but before I go any further, let me ask you, does this sound like you? Do you have flabby thighs, a spare tire, or extra belly fat? Do you feel zapped of energy? Do you find it hard to answer questions? Does a low sex drive leave you struggling to satisfy your partner? If you answered yes to any of the above, the real cause of your symptoms may be a low testosterone level. And these are just some of the other headlines that go on on and on through this website. The seven enemies of your manhood. You don't need to put up with the draining effects of a declining testosterone one day longer. It's time to take back your manhood and your life. Don't let testosterone, low testosterone steal it. Next page. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to take a testosterone shot that will mess with your hormones. And so what this site is about is some herbal combination remedies, a natural breakthrough. Always good, right? Uh, the big side effect could be that women much younger than you will feel very attracted to you. (laughs) I did not make this up. Could you feel 10, 20, or even 25 years younger? Here's the picture that goes with it. For many men, supporting their testosterone levels is the secret to restoring their youthful vigor, uh, their energy, and their excitement for life, and so on. And it continues and continues. And, And so the marketing has worked, right? I mean, they've defined the syndrome, and they are marketing it now out there. And so you might say, well, why do, you, why do you think that it works? Well, take a look at the prescriptions here. So this is the year 2010 up through 2013. This comes from pharmacy data that's collected around the country. And these are the number of men on prescription testosterone. This is prescription. This isn't going to the low-T clinics and all those. This is somebody's doing a prescription. It has practically doubled in this four-year period of time. Doubled. So the disease hasn't doubled in this period of time. And this green line is men between the age of 40 and 64. So it's, it's just that age group that's got many of those concerns. Okay. Oh, well, the market. From 1988, testosterone, we spent about $18 million a year in this country on testosterone. It has gone up 100-fold in that period of time. So the marketing, in fact, works. So the media has, has in, in a sense, succeeded with this. So the real disease, as I told, told you, that we try to find out, figure out, and diagnose and treat uh, as endocrinologists um, is, a, is a condition that can really be 
uh, coming from a whole different, from a whole host of different um, disorders in the body. Um, it can come from problems in the pituitary gland that produces those gonadotropins I talked about that stimulate the testis, either tumors there, infections there, inflammation, issues in the pituitary function. can come from hypothalamic disease higher up in the brain, right? The same kinds of processes could affect that. And it could come from direct problems with the testis. For example, someone who's been exposed to a lot of, chemo, uh, a lot of chemotherapy, sometimes that's toxic to the testis. Radiation for maybe a tumor that was you know, much, much earlier in life. Trauma. Mumps, both on both sides, for example, can cause um, testicular dysfunction and, and a lack of testosterone. Cancer. Genetic disorders like the Klinefelter syndrome. Men who have had a lot of alcohol issues, chronic alcoholism, can sometimes really uh, destroy testicular function. And then men who take that uh, kind of therapy that shuts down normal, that normal axis for prostate cancer, for example, can really have bona fide, if you will, hypogonadism, low testosterone due to a pathologic condition. So when we're looking for that, we usually will get a total serum testosterone level. And in hypogonadism, it's going to be low. Uh, in low T, it's going to be low, but you've got to factor in the age. We sometimes get, and I put this in here only because oftentimes people say, well, should I, get the t- should I be looking at the total testosterone or the free testosterone? It should be the free testosterone should also be low. If the level is going to be measured, it needs to be measured early in the morning, between 8 and 10, ideally fasting. So if you happen to be getting this checked, make sure that you get it checked under the right conditions where the level can be interpreted uh, and have meaning. And because of that up and down variation in testosterone, you want to get at least two and preferably three levels separated out by time so you get some idea of what's going on over time a little bit. And you want... You want the individual not to be stressed. And that might be difficult, but you you want to interpret that level in a a man that's not um, under stress. And if the T level is low, then we go ahead and do further things, like measuring those gonadotropins and so forth. And then we go and try to look and see if we can understand why. Okay, so let's say one has made the diagnosis of that or we're considering testosterone replacement. And you notice I have the word replacement in there. I don't have supplementation with testosterone because we're keeping this at the level of what would you do if the testosterone really, in fact, were low and there was a reason for it. We've got a lot of options. Uh, We've got testosterone injections, uh, which can be given on a variety of schedules. We have a gel that can be applied to the skin, uh, pretty easy to take and and quite reliable for its delivery of testosterone. We have a patch that can be put on once a day, and we have tablets that can go in the mouth and slowly release the testosterone. So we have really good, reliable treatment options if replacement of testosterone is needed. Um, and, and the other part of all of this is, you know, if you're going to give testosterone, is it safe? And, and all of the marketing and all of the um, uh, discussion about the low T syndrome has led a lot of men, all those men taking those prescriptions I showed you, uh, to, it's led a lot of men to be taking t- 
testosterone, even if they don't have a disease of the pituitary gland or the hypothalamus, because a doctor's measured a level, it, it's low, it's low for their age, and many times a sort of a therapeutic trial gets initiated. And so this has led a lot of endocrinologists to kind of look at whether this is a safe thing, particularly in the older age group. And so what we're going to look at very, fairly quickly are a couple of uh, studies that, inf- that, are, uh, that were done to try to inform us, is, 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 is there a safety signal here? Do we have a safety issue to be concerned about? And this is just, um, just to remind you that there's lots of different kind of studies that can be done, but the ones that people respect the most are what are called randomized placebo-controlled trials. So I've tried to show you a couple of those here as we come along. So we're going to talk in a a moment about some of those trials which have taught us about safety of testosterone and um, effectiveness. But I just wanted to also set the stage for the fact that all of those um, replacement options I mentioned were all tested in good randomized trials, but most of them were in younger men. So what do you see in younger men who have hypogonadism, low testosterone from whatever condition, with testosterone replacement, you see a lot of good things happen. You see the maintenance of secondary sexual characteristics. You see improved sexual functioning in many different domains. Muscle mass and strength increases. Bone mass increases and fat goes down. So in the younger man under, say, 50, you can really measure all those different things improving with testosterone. But again, the big question is, what about older men who are experiencing that decline in testosterone? So this study came out um, a, a few years ago now called the TOM trial, Testosterone in Older Men. And the idea here was if you can improve muscle function, if you can pr- improve energy, vigor, strength, etc., maybe for older men who have limited mobility, this would be a good thing and we could see something good uh, come out of you know, uh, controlled or moderated testosterone replacement. So this trial looked at men with uh, frankly low levels or levels at the lower limit of the normal range. Again, randomized them to the gel. They put it on every day. And um, they looked at a variety of parameters. They looked at muscle strength, and then they looked at um, side effects, because that's pretty important. If you're, if you're initiating this therapy in men in their mid-70s, you want to make very sure that you're not causing side effects. And what they found, and this received a lot of publicity, uh, was that there were some cardiovascular safety signals early on in the trial, and the FDA stopped this trial. So just looking at, did, did testosterone in fact work on some of the things that, that they were testing? And, and these are just some studies looking at um, muscle strength. And so this is the leg press. These are the placebo men, the men on placebo gel, and men on testosterone. You can see that leg press strength improved, chest press strength improved. And then the, they measured power climbing stairs. And the, all of those things, all of the green bars are the men on testosterone showing that they, in fact, improved muscle strength, muscle function. But this was muscle testing. It wasn't proof, for example, that they would fall less or be stronger in, in um, activities of daily living and less disabled and so forth. So it's an it's a, um, interim kind of uh, measurement. 
But the one thing that stopped this trial and has led everybody to pause and think about this uh, were some of the cardiovascular uh, signals. And I, I won't mention the skin, but I'll just show you that in this trial they collected cardiovascular um, events uh, in the men on testosterone versus placebo, this lowered black line. And the cardiac events were greater, 23 events. It was a small study, so 23 events in the men on testosterone, just five in the men on placebo. But when you run the statistics, this actually became quite significant, and that's why the FDA stopped the study. And same with some of the skin findings. So this led to everybody stopping and thinking about, is is testosterone safe in this group of uh, older men with low T? Some of the other uh, adverse events or side effects, if you will, are a high red blood cell count. And we monitor this carefully when we give men testosterone. And, and this is just a summary, but in, in a whole bunch of studies, a bunch of trials, this signal turned out, in fact, to be a significant one. In other words, that effect on red blood cells has to be carefully looked at because it does go up with testosterone. And you'd think, that's a great thing. I mean, having more red blood cells has got to give you more oxygen, be able to do more. The relationship between that in older versus younger men isn't the same. And so in older men, this may actually, you know, accelerate the chance of having a heart attack or a stroke. So there's a lot of attention being paid to this. What about the prostate? We know that the the prostate is a testosterone-sensitive tissue, right? So in all these trials, and I've just put a little red line down the middle here, when any of these lines cross that red line, that means it's not statistically different. So basically, in all these trials, they basically have established that testosterone therapy, even though the prostate sees that testosterone, doesn't cause prostate cancer, and statistically, it actually doesn't worsen lower urinary tract signs like uh, uh, frequency and, and uh, so forth. And these are in, that, in, in men of that age. But still we monitor PSA, prostate-specific antigen, in men on testosterone. But it doesn't look like it's dangerous in that sense. And there's a, there's a small effect on um, HDL cholesterol. And in men who have obstructive sleep apnea, we have to take care of that sleep apnea before we give testosterone because that can maybe worsen the sleep apnea. So those are some of the things that we've learned from a lot of these trials. And in the next five minutes, I'll just show you this last set of trials, but just frame it around, you know, the concerns that that TOM trial raised about uh, cardiovascular safety. And then a lot of the other trials also raised the concern of are we actually getting any efficacy out of giving testosterone to older men. And so the National Institutes of Health sponsored a, a bunch of trials that they called the T-trials, or the testosterone trials, and specifically targeted older men. And we won't go into the details. We just don't have time. But just eight, about 800 men were enrolled in these trials, and you can see all the different parameters. This cost us a lot of money, I'm sure. But all the different parameters that they looked at in these different seven different testosterone trials. And the men were all over the age of 65. And again, it was the gel formulation. And each of the studies was one year. So they, they succeeded in, in raising that testosterone levels. You see, the men in the placebo stayed low the whole year. And men on testosterone raised that level into the mid-normal, young mid-normal range. So what did it do? Well, this little red line here tells you the men on testosterone. And it tells you about sexual functioning. 
So it, in fact, did improve. No surprise really there. These men um, over the age of 65 could walk a little bit more, but it didn't quite make statistical significance, maybe way out here, but it was not significant over here. And there was no, and, and they'd studied a lot of these things by questionnaires, no effects on the sense of vitality reported, uh, re- reported from a questionnaire, but mood got better. In terms of adverse events, I'll just summarize that by saying, and they, they looked at everything very carefully, the safety looked okay in that one-year study. They looked at sexual functioning in about 500 men, and all of these were men who, on their initial intake, complained of a low libido. And they looked at it with different um, instruments for testing this, and they found that 10 out of the 12 aspects of sexual functioning got better. But one thing, and many men complain of this, in this, in this age group certainly is erectile function. It didn't change erectile function, and that's important because we have other, other treatments for that. They also looked at cognition, so you know memory function and so forth, and we'll go straight to the bottom line here. No difference between testosterone and placebo. And these, were, these are considered the very best tests for checking these things. They looked at bone mass in 200 men and bone strength. You can estimate that from different kinds of imaging tests, and that that was positive. In other words, these men increased their bone mass, and if you calculated strength from the bone uh, mass measurements, strength improved. So bone was positive, bone was and and sexual functioning uh, positive. Now, what about cardiovascular? And that's the big ticket question that we all have uh, working in this area. So there were only 170 men in the cardiovascular trial. Again, it was the same thing I've told you about, the the gel for a year versus placebo. And they looked at cardiovascular health by doing coronary artery CT angiograms, a very precise, quantitative, uh, very detailed imaging technique, and they also did coronary artery calcium scores. And cutting quickly to the chase, these things I've highlighted in this orange color those things actually did worsen over, over that one year of therapy. So non-calcified plaque in the coronary arteries did go up with a year of testosterone, and the total amount of plaque also increased. So plaque is not a, not a good thing. And this kind of plaque um, is thought to be sort of the bad kind. This may or may not be, uh, you know, may, may just be hard plaque that you accumulate. So I think this led a lot of people to really be thinking Maybe that original TOM trial was telling us something true. They did do the coronary artery calcium scores, and in that one year, they didn't see a change. Now, with this smaller number of men, a couple hundred, you can't count heart attacks in a year. It wasn't that high risk of population. So we, we can't say anything about events, heart attacks, strokes, et cetera. They can count them, but it's too small a study. So just to sum up um, quickly, um, what about treating older men with low T? Well, the T trials, I think, are going to be for a while the best data that we have. I think they're very helpful. You know, they're very well done um, and, and uh, carefully done, but they're all short. And cardiac events and vascular events often happen over time. Uh, and, and they couldn't capture, because the, study was, the studies were small, real endpoints, real hard endpoints, which are, I think, the biggest concerns we have. 
And because they weren't designed to be safety studies in the, in the real sense of exposing a lot of men and following them over time, they don't establish safety. All you can say is, here's what we saw. You can't say this doesn't mean you aren't going to see a heart attack if you follow men for five or ten years. So they can't establish safety. This is what we're probably going to have. The testosterone by no means is a panacea for aging, and definitely beware of the marketing and look very carefully at supplements that are uh, set up to augment testosterone or give testosterone. Look very carefully at it. So the jury is still out. He's thinking very hard about, uh, about these data, and maybe over time he'll come up with a better answer than I have. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.